10 straight wins for Max Verstappen, 15 straight for Red Bull Racing. The perfect season is dead. Long live King Carlos. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 473 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, I can't believe I get to say this. We had a fucking great Formula One race this weekend. Genuinely the race of the year. It was good. It was genuinely really good. Uh, Dre, are you are you sure you're not just saying that because somebody not driving a Red Bull won? It definitely helps. <laughs> it it definitely helps. I'm not going to lie about that, that, that one. Look, I'm here for intrigue, and you cannot sit there and tell me that four different cars from three different teams on two different strategies by the end of that race wasn't captivating. If you didn't find that enjoyable, then F1 is not the sport for you, quite frankly. Um, because, yeah, Carlos Sainz has won a Grand Prix. Again, only the second time in his career, Ferrari has won a race, which, God, four months ago, you would have laughed out of the room if you thought Ferrari was in a race this year. Uh, apparently, <laughs> which, some people were shocked to know that this is Carlos Sainz. This is not Carlos Sainz's first win. Who knew? Did people forget about, about Silverstone last year that quickly? <laughs> all, I, all anyone could remember was Lewis Hamilton going through <laughs> from that race. Wasn't even the best overtake on that sequence of two laps, but it's 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 amazing what a good David Croft commentary call does for a, does for a motherfucker. But uh, yes, this is the Singapore Grand Prix review. This was an incredibly captivating race. Singapore does have a knack of throwing a cat amongst the pigeons, and it certainly did on this occasion. Red Bull was human. Um, not only did they not win, not only did they not even get on the podium, uh, they. They barely could finish in the top five, and they ended a very unique streak, which we'll get to very shortly as well. But first up, we'll go around the horn for this excited panel of experts. First up, Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. Howdy, everyone. Um, you know, my bet would have been wrong. And that's okay, because I'm still way closer than either of my colleagues are. By a mile. <laughs> I think I was in the middle of the road when we made our prediction of how many races we're both. To be fair, I think I said 17, and I think you said 18. So I said all, and then I got talked down to, like, 18. We tried to tell you through 70 years of history, this doesn't happen! <laughs> and yet, it didn't happen in a way that anyone would have expected. No. Look... For once, Cam, you can't say we weren't wrong to talk you off to talk you off the fence on this one. All right, but technically speaking, we were right. Going for the perfect season was a mistake—a small one, but it counts. So we're taking that. <laughs> oh, it's it's only down to it can still be the greatest Formula One season of all time if they oh, easily just don't win. <laughs> if they if they just win every remaining race, which again, yeah, Singapore can be that outlier. Ask it Mercedes from 2015. Yeah, yeah, it has been. It has yeah. been. It has been the historical, I'd argue, biggest outlier of the last decade when it comes to Formula One in general and general form books. Um, we'll get into some of that a little bit later on. But also with me, of course, is RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ. Uh, I am glad we could join us all in a very Red Bull centric episode, as we are going to talk about because. Uh, yeah, um, Red Bull has big resource management problems, and not all that's to do with their big... Not, not just um, their front tire usage. Yeah, <laughs> well, not just that. Not just some old guy who runs most of the team. Uh, they got three drivers going into two seats, and 
I don't know what to do. I don't know what to make of it. It is, as uh, my girlfriend would say, a messy bitch. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about that Liam Lawson situation because Lawson continued uh, to, to to ball with his best weekend yet in the AlphaTauri, uh, making Q3 and AlphaTauri's best result of the year so far this season, the ninth place finish, um, firmly in the points. And, oh, boy, this is going to be a selection headache if you're Red Bull racing. But we'll get into that later on as well. And Dr. Helmut Marko is being an old fuck again. I, and that's about as nice as I'll be on the situation. Because uh, something happened in between Monza and Singapore, which definitely warrants further discussion. Um, and it, it is ungood in how, in, how we, uh, in, in how we have to talk about it. But uh, we have to talk about it. So, yeah, we'll be doing that towards the end of the show. In the meantime, we'll hit the places you can find us real quick. Uh, we are on uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 until Elon decides to charge us for that too. The prick. Um, if you want to, until then, you can follow our personal handles at Dre underscore WTF1, at cbuckley 917 and at RJ O'Connell. Um, our website, Motorsport 101, is where all of our bonus ed- edition blogs are there, as well as also all our podcast episodes too. If you're a big IndyCar fan, I've written a lot of words on the 2023 IndyCar season. Parts one and two are, by the time this goes out, part three will also be up as well. I actually did a word count on it last night. The whole thing came to 10,200. It was a universe. You wrote wrote like a whole Athlon sports guide. (laughs) It is a university dissertation here in the UK because a dissertation in the UK is 10,000 words. I did 10,200 something. It was, I do do not know how the last part came out at over 5,000. I just, wrote and it just came out i do not understand how this happened here we are so all three parts of that will be up on the website by the time this episode goes out and some bonus thoughts on singapore on the website's blog section as well do check that out if you haven't already we're on instagram and motorsport 101 paul and if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to all these new episodes as they are the day, the day before i should say they're being released you can upgrade to the ten dollar level to get uh, access to our record room where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being done. Jason's doing so right now, thanks to Jason, who pointed out that when it came to our official list on bets, apparently RJ said 16, I said 17, and Cam said 18. So, yeah, Cam's still way out in front. Hopefully, we'll, we'll, hopefully Price is Right rules will come into effect when McLaren win the last four rounds of the year. Uh, <laughs> you are not just on crack. You are the drug problem. <laughs> One could only hope. Also, shout out, we got a brand new Patreon backer as well. Um, Ciara Molloy um, has backed us as well at the 10 euro level. Thank you so much. That's an incredibly generous of you. Um, oh, do get I, need in touch. Di- I need the Discord soundboard in this, in this Riverside chat. I need the air horn, yes. Um, don't, you, don't you worry. Uh, we'll only keep like early access and stuff behind paywall. We're not going to paywall everything like that jackass Elon. No, definitely not. But thank you so much for backing us. It's incredibly kind of you. Reach out to me somewhere on the internet and we'll, we'll hook you up with all the extra stuff like a like, like our Discord server and things like that. So please get in, get in touch if you're listening. You are much appreciated. Thank you so much for backing us. And you can too if you do it so at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Without further ado, let's get into the Singapore Grand Prix. Did we mention the Rebel didn't win this race yet?
After 15 consecutive wins, Red Bull has been defeated for the first time this season. They can only manage 5th and 8th in Singapore after setup concerns have both cars eliminated in Q2 for the first time in 102 Grand Prix weekends. The only person who's ever had a longer Q3 qualifying drink that was Valtteri Bottas. 103. God bless him. 10 out of 10, baby. No, no. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) At the front, Carlos Sides held off Lando Norris, who worked together with slowing down the pace of the race to hold off the two-stopping Mercedes at the end, with George Russell costing himself a podium after hitting the wall on the outside of turn 10 on the final lap, with Lewis Hamilton inheriting third place. Was that the race of the year so far? Uh, you go back and watch the 30-minute uh, cadets version of the race. I had a busy weekend and couldn't watch this live, but mm. I saw, yeah, very good stuff. And not just because of the fact that, like, oh, Red Bull's not in contention for the win. This was genuinely a great, great tactical race with a fantastic four-way finish at the end. Well, at the very, very end, it was three. But for most of it, it was four. At the very, very end. I, I would say mm-hmm. it was a... I'm split on this. The first half of the race, thanks to an early safety car, um, was basically the nothingest of burgers. And then, you know, thank God for French powertrains. Because Esteban <laughs> Ocon, bless his heart, he tried. Gets a box full of neutrals, stops on track, gets the VSC and Mercedes, throws the dice to try and run everyone in front of them down. Mm. They were the only team with extra mediums, and they went for it. It's crazy because, like, Singapore is a place where you would hardly ever consider giving up track position. Under any circumstances. Kinda. One of the things this year is that actually they were running a different track layout. The previous one is coming back next year, but yeah. But fucking why? This one's better. Agreed. In what way? We actually had some proper overtakes down that back end of the track this time, as opposed to last year. Do you want to see cars? Yes. Who besides the Red Bulls who were on dead tires? Who passed anyone this race? It's still better than what we would have had previously. Like, like let it cook. Like, do you really want to add four more chicanes for no good reason? <laughs> yeah, because it was an overtaking opportunity last year. Was it really? Oh, it's, it's never been an overtaking opportunity. Well, it wasn't under the previous generation of cars where God, you had like a three and a half second dirty air zone. <laughs> Back in like 2019. And you want that back, yeah? Because <sighs> last year it wasn't. And, and, and it will be when again cars keep discovering more downforce and loopholes around the regulations. You know how this story goes, Cam. <laughs> yeah. Buddy, we, all knew. we had two cars run up to the front two, and they had nearly two seconds in hand and couldn't pass shit. Because the straights of Singapore are not long enough. That's inherently the problem. So you just counteracted your own point. Look, look, and you think the solve of that is going to be by sticking two more chicane sets in the final sector of the track. It was a better layout last year. Nonsense. I, I refuse to agree with you on this one. That is nonsense. You can refri- Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> part, part of the problem with a lot of modern circuits is that they are way too complex anyway. Like, like bruh. I know what this Barcelona, means. Barcelona was never improved by sticking a, a second clumsy ass chicane in that final sector. No, it wasn't. 
No, it wasn't. But there, there was unfortunately good reason for that chicane. Um, mm. But um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway let's talk about this lead fight because Carlos Sainz drove his best race as a Formula One driver. If you had thought that the Singap- the Silverstone win should never have happened, buddy, he drove a perfect race mm. from start to finish. He was that's clever it. about it too. Yeah, that's yeah, what you're meant be. to do. No, that, that's what that's what you're meant to do. And yeah, like this, this is a race that you don't drive at full speed. Like not even compared to the average race trim situation. They were deliberately backing the wagon up because everybody knew that the hard was not going to be a, a feasible tire. Anytime to mitigate that as a plus, the hard tire was a donkey in this race. Um, and everybody started, everybody were for Dan besides the Red Bull started on the mediums. So we knew how this was going to end. And yeah, like it was intriguing. Like Carlos Sainz dictated the pace of that race perfectly. It was, he was fantastic. You can't take anything away from him. Qualified on pole, did what he had to do. Um, and I love the fact that he didn't even need the team to turn to back the wagon up with Lando Norris at the end of that race and play off each other's because the Ferrari is strong enough in a straight line with its straight power that you know it it, it can't be overtaken even with McLaren having DRS because the Mercedes power unit is not fast enough in a straight line to pass. Well, it's more the, the McLaren is just even with and they brought basically another massive revision to the car to the point where mm. it's practically a C spec car at this point, right? But it's still just pants in a straight line. It makes its time everywhere else. Yeah, Norris um, said himself, like, it's yeah. a faster car, but it's still the same problems he's always had all year, basically, yeah. is what he said after the race. Um, I also love when George Russell was on the radio saying that Sainz was driving too slow in front of him on the VSC, because, like, I think I knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to back the wagon up to make sure that Mercedes, if they were to go switch tires under the virtual safety car, it wasn't going to be viable and they'd lose too much position. They knew exactly what they were doing, and like this was a this was a thinking man's race. And Carlos Sainz is one of the best thinking man drivers in Formula One. He always has been. How many times have we joked that Carlos Sainz knows better than his own strategy department does on the radio? Like, to be fair, when that strategy department is Ferrari, that bar is usually resting somewhere in the Earth's inner core. It's, it's, it's still an improvement. <laughs> He's merely replaced Sebastian Vettel as head strategist. <laughs> Whatever counts, right? Whatever counts. But look, props to Mercedes for at least for once taking the aggressive option. Like, they're, they're a lot more fun when Mercedes are hunting people down rather than trying to play it as safe as they possibly can like they normally do. Um, yeah, that was that was fun. It was very fun, and I'm glad that it happened because we got a fantastic result. To what like, it would have been a great tactical race anyway, but we would have lacked the crescendo of a big finish, and we actually got a big finish as a direct result of this. Um, and sorry, Esteban Ocon, you are the sacrificial lamb. Yes. Um, happy, happy, happy birthday, Esteban. Have a retirement from what would have been a top six finish. God, that fucking... How, how is that car that unreliable in the year of our Lord 2023? I don't know. Like, a gear, it was a gearbox this time, apparently, uh, according to Esteban himself. But, uh, Box full of neutrals. Man celebrated his 27th birthday with a gearbox failure. Happy birthday, Esteban. Um... <laughs> <laughs> at least his team, at least his teammate Pierre Gasly got a top six finish instead by finishing P six on the day, which was good for him. The oh, the ever oh. erratic nature of Alpine could come into play once again. 
Um, Man, I knew it was a wild finish when I saw F1 manager memes about George Russell going on the final lap. (laughs) Well, let's get into that because, well, the Mercs caught, but then as a result of this ass layout, we'll not get off of that. They couldn't do shit with all their pace. They were a second and a half, two seconds a lap faster, and they could do nothing with it. Well, um, well, he follows Lando into turn 10. Lando clips the wall with his right rear. George Russell clips it a little harder, breaks his wheel. He went for the gap. And missed. Uh, went flying off into the wall, and that was day done. George was almost in tears by the time he, he was got back. To the, he was in he, tears. He, he put on sunglasses. Yeah, he, he he was in tears by the time he got back to the paddock. He was absolutely distraught um, at, at that one. And it kind of sums up Russell's year. Like, the speed is still there. On a good day, he can genuinely... Let's not forget. It's been, out- it's been back since like, the summer break. He has oh, yeah. been back like, to his best from he last year. He qualified Hamilton by half a second this weekend. He, like, he, like, Russell smoked Hamilton overall at this time around. But... Again, he's made another mistake in a race situation, which is just unfortunate. He wasn't doing this last year. This year, he's had two or three of these occasions where he's completely ruined himself off his own making. Um, I don't think there's any massive cause for concern with that, because a lot of people are very quick to jump on the, oh, is Russell cooked campaign? And, and, and No, calm down. It, it, it was right? a like, desperation heave, because yeah. really, the only place he could actually really use the tire was out of traction zones basically opening up the corner and trying to get enough traction down that you could fire it up the inside of one of the next chicanes. Right. Um, Cause the straights straights are just too short here. And that's how we got past the couple of cards. How we got past Charles on the charge on the fresher tires. Well, to be fair, um, Charles was also nursing an overheated engine by that point in the race. Yeah, Charles' uh, race fell apart, really, from the first safety car onwards. I cannot um, what is go, go. Charles Leclerc played the team game for Ferrari, and, and there was no like hot, hemming and hawing about it. He's a good boy, Charles, at his core, and uh, I don't know why they put him on soft tires either at uh, the, the start of that race. That was say, a, that weekend, was a death pact. There was <laughs> one tire worth a damn. The medium did everything. The hard died quicker than the medium and was far slower, and the softs mm-hmm. just died instantly. Yeah. The softs were cooked in 15 laps. The mediums are good for 25 yes. to... Well, you know, like... Was, uh, did, 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 nothing summed it up better for me was when they told Charles Leclerc around lap 12, oh, target three, target three, which at this point, I think Charles has only just realized, no, my friend, you're the cork in the bottle on this occasion. Uh, and basically, like, could, could, you, could you do us a favor, Charles, and just back the wagon up for us? Um, and then three laps later, you get, you get the message of, Target five, target five, and I'm like, "What do you mean, target five? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> oh, Ferrari, never change. Um, I, I don't know what they were doing putting. Ch- it's, it's like they were almost saying, like, okay, Charles, look, if you pass signs on the opening lap on the soft tires of the extra grip, you'll get off the start. Great. If not, you're kind of fucked. Uh, good luck. <laughs> Basically, Too much. Um. I Ferrari strategy department it, it giveth and it taketh away. It, it won them the race at the cost of everything else. <laughs> they, like, they, Ferrari didn't go winless on the year to have like four out of five winless years in the last couple years. 
<laughs> they won a race, but at what cost? We sacrificed Charles to the incinerator, literally, because <laughs> of how hot his engine got by the end of that race. And yeah, yeah Red Bull, people have asked, like, is this a TD18 problem? No. Calm no. down. Yeah. Even if it was, like, I need to see more data. Well, the thing is, in a weird alternate universe, Red Bull still bullshitted this from 11th. Probably. Because Max was sitting on the hards, basically running the same pace as everyone else because the car was the quickest one in race trim on simulations. It just, they qualified so far down, it gave them too much work to do. Yeah. Um, you couldn't really pass here. Um, Max tried a couple of times once he got up behind, I want to say, Ocon. It was behind one of the Alpines. It was Ocon, yeah. Um, but the safety car for Logan Sargent's broken front wing yeah. fell at the exact wrong time. Yeah. And Red Bull played the game wrong where they should have they should have just come in and bolted on mediums, and they probably slice up the pack because right. we didn't know how much better the hards were or, or how much better the mediums were going to be than the hards. Yeah. Every, they, yeah. They, they brought them back out. Um, they, they were on the old hards to restart the race and they just sank. Once the yeah. hards cooled off, they died on the vine. Because Verstappen, yeah. was, Verstappen was second after that safety car shook out and he was very quickly overtaken by all the leading group. Um, Dude, anyone who crazy. stayed out on hards just died. It was so crazy listening to Alex Jake's call to restart the race. Max Verstappen is going to be so aggressive, and Carlos Sainz has already gapped him by a second. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who stayed out on their first stint tires just fell like a stone. And then Red Bull did come in for mediums, started carving their way back through the field, and then the VSC they would have needed to make it work falls about four or five laps later. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's just how it goes. They they stretched they stretched that hard stint as long as they could, begging for a safety car to drop, and Sergio it came too Perez. late. <laughs> Sergio Perez with the widest Red Bull on the planet to hold off Alonso, who, by the way, was driving around with damage to the lower left wishbone on the yes. front of his car, which wouldn't have actually been mechanical damage, but would have been wreaking all kinds of havoc on his arrow. Mm. Yeah, and he was still on track for to at least salvage points out of it until the jack broke in the pits. And instead of like a three to a four second pit stop, it turns into 26 seconds. <laughs> that would have been right at home in uh, this weekend's IMSA race. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> As a side note, um, Porsche dropping 963 service pack two has done wonders. <laughs> you know, you know. If yeah, you know, easy. you know. Yeah, Mr. Porsche, man. You can't see it because this is not a visual medium, but Cam is smug. He, the, 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 the phrase I think in the UK we use is grinning like a Cheshire cat. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but, well, one manufacturer know. let him down this weekend. The other one's got to pick up the slack. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, at the end, it's weird because we thought Red Bull was going to have, you know, just some divine intervention bullshit strike down their evil. Well, mm. actually, they just missed the setup yeah um, it was simple as that they so i had a chat with mark hughes about this over at the race and he summed it up i had my own suspicion about it and he pretty much backed up what i was saying when he wrote about it where he basically said yeah red bull of they can get away with running their car lower to the ground than anybody else can you can't do that in Singapore because it's an incredibly bumpy track. It's it's like F1's version of Sebring. Um, they can't run their car as low, so they had to sacrifice some of their 
beloved downforce to, you know, their consistent, not very peaky downforce that makes their car so good by raising the floor um, to compensate for that. And once they did that, they were boned, basically, because it, it completely upset the balance of their car. And, and the, the, crack and the got, wild thing is, right? Mm. Had they left the setup alone after FP3, they probably would have been all right. But they tried, they kind of threw, they threw a bunch of stuff at it for qualifying and it looked okay in Q1. We quickly found out in Q2 that it was not, in fact, fine. No, um, they, made, because, they made it slidey as hell. Yeah, well, in the first half of the lap, the second half of the lap, they were okay. First half of the lap, they just, the front of the car was not in the track. It was very reminiscent of Mercedes here in 2015, where every setup they threw at the, was it the W06? Mm. In 2015, they just couldn't get the rear tires to bite. Yeah, like um, and Red Bulls had those problems all, all year long. It's, it's the only real weakness of their car is that over a lap they struggle to get heat into their tires in the first half of a qualifying lap. Yeah, so the, the same characteristic that makes them so mighty in race trim, right, cripples them over a lap. And again, had Max kind of blew his lap first corner, or it was turn three, he just missed the corner, and Perez. We'll get to him later. Um, yeah. Holy shit, he was terrible this weekend. He was terrible, and multiple other drivers got to experience just how terrible he drove. Yeah, more on hey, that shortly. Trey, I've got a question. Fire mm. away. Uh, surely this is going to be a sign of things to come for Red Bull. Like, Because where are we heading next? Oh, Japan. Yeah, yeah. That's that's traditionally like a bumpy circuit, Suzuka, right? Smoother than a baby's bottom. Oh, 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 it's all it's all medium speed, high speed and straights. Oh, it's um, power unit dependent. Oh, they they won by oh, oh a lot here last year in a short bro, race. Bro, this Honda, bro, at, at Honda owns Suzuka circuit. It's going to hit like crap. Oh, yeah. Which is, just, which is funny because I mean, my crack works at Aston Martin. Finally, GP1 engine. Yes, GP1 engine, and yes, most likely Red Bull win the Constructors' Championship this next weekend in, in, in Japan. George Russell's crash actually gave Red Bull a much easier win condition in Suzuka than they otherwise should have had. Yeah, There's I a think pretty they, good chance they wrap I it up. I think they've got to outscore Mercedes by one and not lose more than 24, I think, to, to Ferrari or something silly like that. Um, um, what was it? Ferrari have actually taken second in the constructors. Not quite. They're still like they're still twenty three behind. Um, Are they twenty three? Oh, oh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of a different thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but Ferrari have now clearly ahead of Aston Martin and now for third, and they're actually having about have completely capitulated. Yeah. Say, um, there is one driver we haven't mentioned. Um, Lance Stroll done goofed in qualifying. And yeah. uh, as a result, completely rode off his car and was not present this weekend. Yeah, they they pulled him from the the weekend after that. He was very sore after the crash, apparently. A lot of muscle pain. Decided not to risk him um, and decided to see if the victory is 100% for Japan this weekend. Um, completely wrote off the car. Basically, Q1, final corner, went wide. Car bottomed out on the aero going so, over the curb and at that point you're a passenger um i think there was maybe one there was maybe one good corner left on that car and i mean just completely yeah, it was, destroyed it. it was fucking wrecked it was a nasty crash um 
thankfully he's we're glad he's all okay obviously first and foremost because it was a nasty it was a nasty one to watch in real time um and uh yeah uh thankfully he's all right but uh yeah it wrote off an alcohol car for the weekend which is uh not ideal um we lost about 20 minutes to 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 fix the barrier on the outside walls as well i mean dre you would have looked at aston martin earlier this year and thought you would have circled singapore as a race they could have potentially won at yeah um instead they walk away from here with no points and i think the dream of staying of just hanging on a little bit longer against certainly not mercedes but maybe ferrari and the constructors that's over at this point they need they've, to got, be they've got a healthy cushion behind but yeah, they are not catching those. They're likely going to end up fourth. I think McLaren's given themselves too much work to do, and I think that that podium they got in Zandvoort with Alonso was priceless to get yeah. an extra eighteen points. Given that McLaren struggled that day, um, yeah, because like, Piastri was nowhere this weekend. Well, he came back to finish seventh from from seventeenth on the grid. It was a good, it was a good comeback for Piastri in the, the old spec car too. Yeah, but probably had he qualified higher up. There's a good chance that Piastri's in that lead fight. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, he was very unlucky. He was on a hot lap when Stroll put it in the wall and he was in the drop zone at the time. And obviously with the red flag, the session wasn't restarted because um, it was already, the clock was already at zero. So yeah, it was just unlucky more than anything else um, on, on that one. And Piastri did come back and gain 10 places to finish 7th from 17th on the good, which is a good day's work for Piastri, no question. Um, just, um, yeah, it's just Singapore is one of the worst tracks on the calendar that's happened to you too. Um, but uh, yeah, again, we were strolled the best, but uh, dear Mike Crack, could you do me a favor, mate? Like, if there is one thing about Lance Stroll that doesn't need questioning, is his commitment. Like, we, you shouldn't be using a weekend-ending crash and a catastrophic incident for Stroll to talk about how committed he is to Formula One. That seems like a you problem. Doesn't seem necessary to me to use that as a way of talking about how... Like, like Lance Stroll drove a F1 race this year with two broken wrists. I don't know where this narrative came from that Stroll doesn't want to drive an F1 car. It's because he's the owner's son. And he's like, set for life, and that's the perception is that he doesn't have to apply himself ever. We could be critical of Lance Stroll without being idiotic about it. Like, yeah. like, like we'll get to we'll get to more of that in a second. We'll right, get to more of that later. Very in much the show. so. Very much so. But like, like we could be very critical of Lance Stroll for obvious reasons. We don't need to make up narratives about his commitment to this sport in order to get there. He drove a he drove a Grand Prix this year and was universally praised in Bahrain this year for driving on two broken wrists. And I wouldn't yeah. have said he should have done that, but he did, and he drove well. He, like his, the commitment was, of that Lance was his Stroll, best race of the year. Yeah, the commitment of Lance Stroll is not the problem here. Like that That's all I'll say on that matter. Also, one more thing. This, stewards, can we please stop giving reprimands out for impeding in qualifying, please? This is getting a bit stupid now, for, for my liking. We've had five reprimands given out for impeding in the last... Free race weekends now in qualifying. Since when, right? Did we just decide that the group drop wasn't didn't matter anymore? <laughs> At least they're being consistent. Consistently poor. 
you can't have a high-profile incident like like Leclerc and Norris at Monaco, where where you openly say in the stewards' report Leclerc could have done no more, given the fact he was not told Norris was coming, and then use that same excuse in Singapore with Max Verstappen and Logan Sargent and only give out reprimands. It's stupid. Like. It, like, Especially now it. in the future, everyone can just say, oh, well, there was no communication, therefore they didn't know. Yeah. They can just say, oh, we didn't tell them, and that means well, does that mean we're not going to get a penalty anymore. It's bollocks. You've now, you've now put yourself in a hot mess. I, I don't want to endorse these conspiracy nut-huggers on social media about you being in the, like, Red Bull being in the FIA's pocket, or they've bought them out. I, like, I'm not saying that that's justified, because that is bullshit too. However... You are not helping your reputation by by only giving out reprimands for impeding. Stop being dumber than a box of frogs. Right. Should we move on? <laughs> I'm going to talk about my favorite team. Historically, my favorite team. They're still in the same base. They're called Afatari now. They're going to mm. call something else next year, but they have a genuine headache on their hands in regards to hiring drivers for 2024. As reported by Toby Groiner, Yuki Tsunoda set to stay with the team. But Liam Lawson backed up his strong rookie showing with another outstanding weekend. He made Q3 for the first time, and he finished ninth and got AlphaTauri's best result of the year. But Daniel Ricciardo's still in the mix. Broken hand and all, it looks like he might get the other seat, even though Daniel Ricciardo's health is still up in the air. Red Bull is not two teams. It is one team. It has four seats. Gentlemen, what should they do with its four seats? Because I, I, I think I've got an idea, but I, I want to hear what y'all have to say first. Just say I need to give Yuki Tsunoda like a box of chocolates, a hug. <laughs> Why can't um, he finish like a, a ride? Like like a, a like a tub of cotton candy. He, Why? He, he, he Why not, does the universe hate this man? He's not finished a racing lap of a Grand Prix since Zanvort. Oh. <laughs> A race like, where he got fucked. Yeah, he, anyway. he, he got caught in a clash with Sergio Perez on the opening lap. It was probably a racing incident looking back on the footage of it. Mm. No, I don't think I don't I don't think either party was wholly to blame for that one. I think Sonoda was a bit blind to to Perez on the inside. I think Perez is it's hard to blame Perez for that one. There's a more egregious Perez incident we'll get to later say, on. Forget that. I'm blaming Perez for both. Right, and make uh, look. I'm just blaming him for the later one more. Like it, it punctured Yuki's car, but also it punched a huge fucking hole out of the side of his car, um, which ended Sonoda's day on the opening lap, which was dreadfully unfortunate. Um, it's, he's had if if he didn't have any luck, if he, if he had bad luck, he, he'd have no luck at all since the summer break. He's had just horrendous. Bad luck. And he was up. He was up to make Q three out of Q two, and then he spun in the final sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just well, just locked his. Uh, I think it was his left front wheel just went flying off. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh uh, God. Um, but it looks like he's gonna keep his job, which I guess is good. It's ludicrous for me. It's ludicrous that it was ever in question because, I mean. He summarily ended Nick DeVries' F1 career. But here's the thing, then, right? Uh, sorry to cut you, Cam, for yeah, a second there. Yeah. Right? Like, all these people that are saying that it doesn't count because it's Nick DeVries, mm-hmm. that's not Sonoda's fault, is it? Like, 
Sloboda can only beat who gets put in front of him. Like, like what? Like you, you. I get it. He he's, he was not great the first two years of his F1 career when Pierre Gasly was his teammate. No one reasonable is arguing that. Pierre Gasly is a good driver. Pierre Gasly is a Formula One Grand Prix winner. Well, what I was going to say to that is that last year we also had this. We had a couple of times where Yuki should have scored big points and shit went wrong. The biggest example I'd say being Baku, where his rear wing can opened itself when it opened DRS. Yeah, he's running like what sixth. Yeah, we was running top six at that point. It's, it's on, it, it's impressed with the improvements that Yuki has made, like independent of who you put in the other seat next to him. And, you know, if we want to go on about how, yeah, Yuki's just putting up good head-to-head numbers against a weak teammate in a bad car, well, then we have to go back and say that about George Russell's years at Williams and Jules Bianchi's year and a half at Marussia and Fernando Alonso's year at Minardi. At well, some point, you just got to realize, like, Here's someone who's driving a bad car to the best of his abilities. Sometimes he's not getting the results he wants out of it, but he's doing what he can. And what do we say to that when, like, in the two races he was against Daniel Ricciardo, Ricciardo mm-hmm. out-qualified him for one, and then Yuki out-qualified him the next race. Arguably Yuki's best race of the year, because that was the Belgian Grand Prix where he scored a point and he was running as high as six foot one point. Like, like that was an excellent race for Sonoda. The sample size is just too small to make sweeping conclusions about about Sonoda by comparison to Lawson and to Ricardo because it, the, the results have been so erratic. And I'll say this about Lawson. He's that good. He is that he, good. He, he's better than advertised. Like, again, like, like the people that know Liam Lawson is... Like he's like look, he's been even better than I thought he was going to be. I knew he was going to be good. I didn't know he was going to be this good. And he's forced himself into the conversation via sheer brute force and Dude, excellent. I love Super Formula alum Liam Lawson. I watch Super Formula. <laughs> I love Super Formula graduate Liam Lawson way more than I do DTM graduate Liam Lawson. <laughs> right. Now, where's that bar? Uh, <laughs> nationalized. DTM. No, like, hmm. it's crazy because, like, I get why Red Bull wants to keep Daniel Ricciardo in the picture because he's a very marketable driver and a multi time Grand Prix winner. I just think that Formula One teams need to let their, need to trust their youngins to lead a team. What's Daniel Ricciardo going to say as far as car development that's going to fix the Alpha Tauri when the last two years they've been firing engineers because their numbers in the wind tunnel just don't match what real life shows? They're straight up going to start. They straight up say they're going to start like cribbing ideas off the Red Bull to help turn this around. And it was insane that they didn't do that in the first place when the Red Bull is Red Bull until just this weekend was on the hottest streak of all time. You know why they don't, the last you, 25. You know why they didn't want to do that is because back in the days when Toro Rosso had cars that looked a lot like last year's Red Bull, everybody was saying that's not right. Really? Let me call up Gene Haas and get his opinion on the matter. <laughs> right. Because right. Uh, let me ask, let me ask Aston Martin about uh, their what their 2020 car looked like when it was still pink. It's like in the UK because of because the inflation's so high, we no longer judge people for living with their mums. Like in the same way that like it's okay for F one teams to buy whatever the hell they can off the shelf. It's fine. Do it. Haas popularized it in the modern era of 
okay, don't sell us last year's car. Just sell us as much as you can of this year's car. And Haas was at one point a top 16 doing exactly that. It worked. (laughs) But it worked. It it worked best when Racing Point just straight up said, "Uh, we take this silver car, we repaint it pink. Oh, oh. It's the second best car on the grid at times. Oh, yeah. Gentlemen, gentlemen, Sergio Perez. I've Um, loved this man. I've loved watching this man for... The last fuck awful years? this weekend. He was <laughs> fuck awful this weekend. This was dreadful. You know, it's, it's crazy. He's going to get the second place finish that many people thought he should have deserved last year. And it'll be by far his worst season in top tier equipment in the perception yeah. of many people. Uh, as follow, we already talked a little bit on Red Bull setup issues this weekend. But if you're going to expect one of the two drivers to adapt to it better, you would rightfully expect Max Verstappen to drag something out of it. And Perez just blew his last run in Q2, just spun the car on the curb to right mm-hmm. to start the lap. Very weird. Um, just He basically did what Lance Stroll did, only in a far slower corner. And then dives Yuki, kills yeah. Yuki, damages mm-hmm. his own front wing. Works his way back through, is stuck basically for the whole first half of the race. He makes no progress into the points. And then Red Bull's strategy for the first safety car plays out. Perez holds off Alonzo and company as long as he can and then boxes. And that's the last we saw of him for a while. Right up until the point where he showed up in Alex Albon's onboard view, pile driving Alex Albon into a barrier. Yeah, it was a, it was an incredibly clumsy move, and honestly, I'm I didn't stunned. Know he was playing, I didn't know this was Gran Turismo Sport Weekend. I I'm stunned. Perez only got five seconds for that. That was a massively egregious collision. It meant nothing because he's in a Red Bull versus a Williams. Even a neutered Red Bull is still a billion times the car the Williams is. He just pulled a five second gap to everyone behind him, and it meant nothing. Yeah, like, and then it, it cost album points. Like, no question, he would have been in the this points. Was another of amazing weekend it, and at Singapore. Williams was not only competitive, but was going to get decent points, yeah. and it was just wiped off the face of the earth for them. Yeah, look, my general conclusion here is that three into two doesn't go at AlphaTauri. There is a viable argument for all three of the current drivers in this setup. Yuki Tsunoda, regardless of teammate, has, in my opinion, earned the right for a fourth year. I think he has objectively improved his racecraft, his overall speed, and he has dragged a terrible car into the points on multiple occasions. Liam Lawson has been even better than advertised. He has been excellent. He has come in on virtually no experience, raw, and driven like he's been here five years already. Can't ask for any more from what he's brought to that team in a very short time span. Daniel was like, okay, if you were going to get rid of Nick DeFreeze halfway through a season, you have to see out Daniel Ricciardo and see what he's got. Otherwise, this was all pointless. You have to see off what you've got with Ricciardo. And he's yeah, not he, had a... He should have never even bothered bringing him back if it's just going to happen. Right. Like, like, don't get me wrong. You know, the injury, it happens. You, you can't predict these things happening. It's, it's, it's a part of racing. But two weekends is not a big enough sample size to see what, what what you've got with Ricardo. And you had no problem as a team peddling the idea that Ricardo was going all in for the Red Bull seat for 2025. 
when Perez's contract expires at the end of next season. So you had no problem peddling that narrative amongst the team when you brought him back after that Silverstone test. Right, so you there is a credible argument here for all three of these dudes. But as I said in my DRR post about it, the cork in the bottle is not any of these three drivers. The cork in the bottle is Sergio Perez, in my opinion. I think you have... If you're evaluating these four drivers based on this season right now, I have the most concerns about Sergio Perez. And I I think it's hard to argue for any reasonable fan otherwise at this point. Like, he is in, arguably, almost certainly, the best F1 car we have ever seen, and he has consistently underperformed expectations in that car. I'd say for at least half this season. See, he's been at par, what, six or seven of the races? I don't know what's happened since Miami. Miami got, was the, we got, going into blown, the Miami he weekend. He got blown into mm. the weeds from ninth place on the grid on the kind of race that Sergio Perez would typically excel in. Right. That's when, the, that's when I knew the season was over. I was like, okay... Perez went into that round only six points back after Max's, you know, rough start. Not his fault, but whatever. You know, Perez took advantage of the situation, did what he had to do, won those races. Goes into Miami, for snap and starts ninth on the grid, and he gets blown out. He was faster on 20 lap old tires compared to Checo at the crossover point. That was when I knew this season was over, because I was like, if Perez is doing that, then there's no way he's winning a championship like this. And of course, as we all saw, Verstappen would go on to win that race pretty comfortably in the end. Now, since then, his season's gone to shit. Like he, like for me, he is the definition. Like he is what people thought Sebastian Vettel was towards the end of his career. He's a Goldilocks driver. He's fine when the car is suited to him. The moment you take him out of his comfort zone, the pace drops off a cliff. If it rains, he's boned. If he's in any sort of spontaneous situation, he messed up in qualifying. You know, he had to dig himself out of a hole three or four times this year already to get he, some with, decent result. With how the race actually ended up playing out as far as Red Bull's race pace, if he doesn't blow Q2, there's a good chance he's their protagonist in the race. He actually got a golden opportunity, and he just threw it in the trash again. I never would have thought I would have seen this happening, you know, once he got that win insecure after all those years of constantly performing above average in, in midfield, upper midfield cars. He was one of the best floor guys in the entire field. He was fourth in the championship at the end of 2020. Fourth in, in, in a racing point. Fourth in this well, championship. That was an incredible it's season. It's kind Chico. of a racing point. But, <laughs> yeah. Just, no which, like, you're a big Perez guy, RJ. You, you you tell me how you feel about this because, like, this this like you have to admit this is not good for Checo. This is no, this is concerning. Yeah, I, I I put it out there like since Miami, he's not been the same driver. I don't know if it's psychologically. I don't know if it's just the way the car has developed out out of his favor. I know then, that, like, a lot of this anguish is just because, like, 
if Red, yeah, we're having much different discussions if Red Bull actually had to work for its drivers and constructors titles. Mm. <laughs> I, I think the big it's, thing it's, is Verstappen is still the highest tier constructor on the grid by a large margin. Dude, right. it's crazy. And like for a lot of people, it's just like, well, if none of these other constructors are good enough, can we at least get a good intra-team battle for the championship and the driver standings? And we haven't been. Well, and no one besides those people is asking Perez to go out and beat Max because that's at the moment that is just an unrealistic expectation of person in the other car that Max Verstappen is driving. Right now, the problem is that he, there's weekends where he doesn't even make the top five. I don't want to damn like this, man. At, at, at this point, like this, this is the situation. Red Bull effectively has a freebie for the rest of this year. They have, they they had both titles won by the time we were halfway through Europe. They had both titles won when they rolled that car off the truck in Bahrain. Right. So they've had half a season post Nick De Vries to basically roll the dice and see who their second best driver in their ranks is. At this point, it's hard for me to argue with Sergio Perez. I can't get there. Don't. Don't think there is an argument. And uh, by the way, that fifth place finish this weekend dropped Max's finish. Thank you, uh, Jason in the chat. Jason in the chat um, dropped it to a one point two six. Is that good? <laughs> We're not That's asking good. Perez to go beat the guy who's got an average finish of one point two six. We're asking him to be at par. Back him up. I I have a theory, right? Go on. Because, like, the feeling is, like, okay, if they go with Ricardo and Sonoda at whatever we're calling AlphaTauri next year, it's been floated around that, like, people are saying, oh, maybe they'll loan Liam Lawson out to Red Bull. What I'm saying is, like, you put Verstappen and Lawson in Red Bull. Mm -hmm. You put Ricardo and Sonoda at, a, at uh, Team Fianza Bulls Racing AlphaTauri Toro Ross or whatever we're calling them. And you loan Checo out to Williams, which would be awkward after last weekend. I but, yeah, it might be hard feelings there. I think that is the worst possible thing you could do to Liam Lawson. Uh, I think I think you will send Liam Lawson careening out of Formula One if you put him up against Max you, after you're three. Enough, Did we not learn our lesson with Alex Albon? You're but, feeding another lamb to the slaughter. You like, yeah. for, for for me, you're learning out the wrong guy. You loan Lawson to Williams. Get him on the grid for next year. Yeah. He's surely a better option for what that team is right now than Logan Sargent. But it's looking like Logan Sargent's going to keep his place on the grid with Williams anyway. Because Okay, I take back all my kind words about, about James Vowles because the man is unserious if he thinks Logan Sargent is at this level. Yeah, they, was, uh, they want to give we, him we were trying. a try. We were trying with Logan Sargent, but it's... How many, time, how many cars has he wiped out this year now? Too many. Way too goddamn many. Like, f for me, Red Bull's priority at this point should be get Liam Lawson on the grid by any means necessary. If you're prepared to loan out Albon to Williams a couple of years ago, there's yeah. no reason why you can't do it again with Liam Lawson. And this who team clearly, has mobility. Who clearly, uh, is the, and you know, Williams has got a better platform for success right now than Alpha Tauri does. So why not, why not just loan him to Williams he, the Williams has got a team of Albon and Lawson. It's a very strong midfield-level team. You can cook with that lineup, and then you could keep Ricardo and Sonoda at 
Alpha Tauri next year, whatever it's called, and you can have them fight it out for the Red Bull seat next year. Hugo Boss Bulls Racing. What a who says no? Best name for a team. Oh uh, no, I I like that. The other thing was just something I was thinking of because, like, yeah, they've got they've really got five drivers and only four spots to go to fit them in. Right. <laughs> we'll see how this works out. I mean. I, I, I look. I'd be very sad if they cut Checo at the end of the season a yeah. year early because he's he's a very easy guy to root for overall, and he's a great feel good story about the midfield who did finally come good and did finally get the opportunity that he deserved after years of plugging away at it. Um, but Red Bull, if you're being strict at evaluating how they've been this year, like the only reason we're not having even more pressurized conversations about Checo is because Red Bull has had no competition this season. And if anything, it's made Perez look worse by comparison. <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's like... It, well, you've got Max winning certain races by 30, 35 seconds. You've got Perez scrapping with Alpines at times. Right. That's, 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 that's unacceptable. Like, that's that's just not going to work in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. Um... Yeah, look, we've just had a conversation, a productive conversation about how Sergio Perez is not meeting expectations mm. without hitting below the belt. If only some That's other people could manage that. Yeah. It's a great segue. RJ, hit, hit, hit him with it. Yeah, so Dr. Elman Marco at Honcho Rebel Racing. Uh, well, not the head honcho, but he's... He's been there like forever and ever. Helmet Marco is an advisor it. of the actual, uh, the greater Red Bull brand. Yeah. So, beyond just the racing team. So, Dr. Marco was given an FIA code of ethics warning after coming out with very xenophobic comments regarding Sergio Menes. After Monza, uh, Marco said, quote, It was surely one of Checo Perez's best weekend. And we know about his problems in qualifying, which is where he has his doubts. Let's remember that he is South American, and so his head is not as focused as Max Verstappen or as Sebastian Vettel was. But racing is his forte, and he had a very good race. Red Bull Racing offered no public statement, but Marco has since apologized for his comments. Dre, let's talk about this one. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I, I, and this is me being completely honest. I wanted to write about this on WTF one. I was stopped from doing so because they feared that the words I was going to say would land a cease and desist on my door. Um, <laughs> so if you want to know how I really feel about it, think about how much I have to hold back in this conversation when I talk about this. Um, well, we could say that this is not like the first, like insane thing that Hal Marco has said. Uh, this, this, isn't, this isn't the first thing that he said this past like month that's right. been completely off his rocker. I, I am convinced that when that rock took out his eye and ended his racing career, it took out a part of his frontal lobe as well. This is, is the guy that suggested during the first wave of COVID that like to, to build up driver's immunity, they should have a COVID camp. This is a guy who was making like really weird inferences between the temperament of Yuki Tsunoda and fellow Honda junior, Ayumu Iwasa. Mm -hmm. This is well, not, not a new thing. A quote-unquote typical Japanese. <laughs> and, and this is the guy who runs, who, you know, has a hand running Red Bull junior team, like, you know, a, a very, very ruthless junior program. 
like top of all this stuff. It's incredibly frustrating that this happens again and again and again and again with Helmut Marco. And I think a big part of the problem with it is he has no one to answer to. Like, he is, as, as Cam quite rightly said, people, this is, I've, I've told people this on social media for a long time. Helmut Marco is not a member of Rebel Racing. He doesn't answer to anybody in Red Bull Racing's team. He is an overall advisor to Red Bull as a global brand. He is employed not by Red Bull Racing, but by Red Bull Global. He is on the board, and he has a he had a let's not forget he had a very close relationship with Dietrich Mateuswitz before he passed away last year. Um, and his of the the other ownership family that owns fifty one percent of Red Bull are close with him. Apparently, Mintzlaff would get rid of him in a heartbeat, who's the, the, who's the new director of Red Bull's racing endeavors and their sporting side of things. But yeah. he would have to cross the other side of the ownership camp, and that's not happening. That's the, so, that, unfortunately, is the problem that the only... I mean, as someone who's not even really a member of Formula One in the greater circus, he's just there. Yeah. Um, there's even only so much the FIA can do. Yeah, they gave him a warning uh, on their code of ethics uh, to basically watch his behavior. Um, the sport issued no official statement, which I thought was disappointing because they did it for Nelson Piquet last year. But what? And that was over a year old interview. Why? Like, why? Why does this one not count? And uh, yep, and, uh, Red Bull themselves basically said nothing about it, other than Christian bringing up the fact the the previously mentioned point that he's not a member of Red Bull Racing. Well. He is a face of your brand. Um, And that face of your brand is a cunt. Right. I've said it before. Like, back back before Red Bull became what they are now, in between that lull period, and I was just, like, thinking, you know, if Christian Horner and Helmut Marko were running any other team, like Ferrari or Alpine, they would have been shown the door, like, weeks ago. But Red Bull isn't operated like that. Red Bull Racing is more operated like an oligarchy. Than a democracy, right? In a way, in a manner of speaking, because like Christian Horner and Helmut Marco are the team. Exactly, and like I said, Helmut answers to basically no one in that camp, and that is the problem. Like again, I tell people he is Red Bull's head of driver development, not Red Bull Racing. Red Bull's big brand, and unfortunate, like it's again. Here's what I will say. Red Bull needs to clean up its own house badly, very badly. There is, uh, I'm only stating facts, uh, and I will legally say that this is only hearsay, but there is a list here with Red Bull affiliated moments regarding racial and xenophobic comments that have been made in public. Yuri Vips. They sacked an employee in 2021 over racist messages that were exposed on the internet. Helmut Marko repeatedly has made xenophobic comments regarding his drivers. There is a pattern of behavior here. Like once you could chalk it up to a bad apple. It can happen in any organization. It can happen anywhere, right? And look, every team has had people that have been guilty and liable of this. Mercedes themselves had to fire four of their employees in 2019 because they were anti-Muslim. Like so, people. So people want to get in. The, in people want to turn it into a fan base war of oh well, Red Bull are being racist. Well, if you want to go down that road, then other teams have been guilty of this too in their own backyard, unfortunately. 
that's the unfortunate nature of, of businesses that hire hundreds, if not thousands of people. You're going... Sport is a cross-section of society. There is, like, there is no getting around that. Red Bull needs to clean up its act. It needs to clean up its own backyard because this is happening far too often at this point. You know, like, there needs to be... Like, I, I don't envy anyone who works in their PR department. Like, they, they, they're they probably... They've already probably ripped out most of their hairline by now out of sheer frustration because they can't go more than six months without some sort of disaster hitting the side of their department like a torpedo hitting a, hitting a boat. It's, it's, it's stupid. Look, I get it. Helmut Marco is not going to go anywhere until he retires or dies. He's 80 years old. He's in that ballpark, right? He, he, like, there's no one, he has no one to answer to. Christian Horner has to clean up his mess most of the time. And the FIA are a governing body. They can't go into Red Bulls and say, hey, sack this man. No, they can't do that. Yeah, if anything, I was thinking, I would love to have him kicked out of the paddock. That's great. If anything, I would just think, like, you know, comparing it to what the the PK thing is like, Nelson PK is not affiliated with anybody. So it's easier for us to wash our hands of him than it is for somebody who's constantly here all the time. Right. So he's not there anymore. Exactly. The FIA, that, the FIA can do that. And if Red Bull doesn't like it, they can pound sand. Sure. Um, it's, you know, it's, there's not much anybody can do. If you want to, if, if you want to ban him from the paddock to make yourself feel better, fine. People are still going to interview him. Yep. People, people are still going to talk to him. He's an important figure. Let's not forget. People he, seek him out, Dre, because he is always worth a controversial soundbite. People right. see. That's why he talked to Bernie Ecclestone all the time. Of course. That's why Bernie Ecclestone just set in motion a legal case over the 2008 championship because he couldn't shut the fuck up. Right. Like. All I'm saying is Bernie is very lucky a key evidence giver in that Massa case is now dead. And that's Max Mosley. Like, he's very, very lucky in that sense. Now, like I said, Helmet, like, people, like, you can ban him from the paddock if it makes you feel any better about it. It won't change a damn thing because, like, let's not forget, where did Reb, where did Helmet Marco make these comments? Oh, right. It was Service TV, the Red Bull owned TV channel that Dietrich Mattiswitz was putting right, far right personalities on left, right, and center. Like, he, he's been platformed by Red Bull's own network as the important I figure say, he, he is. He, he's on his own fun. He's on his own platform, funded funded by the company that employs him. Absolutely. So, yeah, he will say whatever the fuck he wants. And again, he has little, if not anyone, to answer to. Yeah, I was about to say, would would they have even bothered like issuing an apology if this was still the old regime under old ownership? I think, they, like I said, I think he has genuinely upset Red Bull to a degree because this is the first time he's actually apologized for his bullshit. Yeah. Like, like I said, I think Mint's laugh on the other sporting side of Red Bull does not like him from what I've from what I've been told by reports inside from, the paddock. From everything we know, he does he's not a big fan of them even being involved in Formula One. Yeah. Like he's a football guy. And if you don't know European soccer, let me tell you for free, they look at the books very closely. A lot like Dietrich 
loved motorsport. He was always going to be the motorsport backer for Red Bull because when the financial crisis happened and everybody was pulling out of F1, he put more money back in. Like, he loved motorsport. That was his passion. Yeah. Mintzlaff is not that dude. He is a football guy, first and foremost. He's, he's, he's got the two guy who's angry he didn't get funneled that money when he was running Red Bull's football operations. Right. And he's now in charge of, of the big boy stuff. And let's not forget what started this year was the biggest rumor to come out of testing, that AlphaTauri might get shut down or moved. AlphaTauri now has to justify its own existence. It's not just going to be Dietrich's vanity project anymore. It has to be worth running. Otherwise, they will shut it down. This is a whole lot to take in. But yeah, I didn't like what Helmet said, I have like a lot of things. He he wasn't even he wasn't even like correctly racist the first time. He said he's from South America. But then he had to correct himself and say, Oh, actually, sorry, I meant that he's from Mexico. I was like, no, actually, I meant to be this racist. <laughs> he, oh, he, I, thought, I, he thought that was clarifying the situation. Uh, so, just, so, just, just to be clear, I, I, I meant Central America when I was being racist. Fantastic. Yeah. For a great job, Helmet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Glad, glad yeah. you got that cleared up for us. Yeah, yeah. No shit. None of us like what he said. None of us like any of this. <sighs> Remember, remember when this sport claimed it was racing as one? You're funny. It's it's amazing how quickly that campaign died the moment 2020 season ended, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, anything to sell more t-shirts. Yeah, we, we sold some posters, we sold some t-shirts, we hired a couple of presenters of color, and we thought, ah, job done, everybody. Let's move on. We beat racism. You know, uh. et cetera. Here we are. Yeah, like you, you don't you don't need us, three grown adults, two of us in our thirties, one of us ways to tell you that Helmut Marco is a racist piece of shit. But I'm going to tell you one more time, Helmut Marco is a racist piece of shit. Oh, overwhelmingly, and he shouldn't be anywhere near Formula One. But unfortunately, he will be because he's one of the most powerful people in the entire company. Isn't that fucking wonderful? I love Jason putting this in the chat. That he's one step away from saying he's not racist because he has a color TV. <laughs> Ten points to Jason. Ten points, to Griff- Ten points to Gryffindor. Fuck J.K. Rowling, too. Um, uh. But, but uh, oh, also, before I go, I want to get this off my chest as well. At Sky Sports in the UK, please do me a favor. Cut Danica Patrick's contract today. Finally, yesterday. Please. But like, with, like With all due respect for Danica Patrick's accomplishments, she is you, not you, good for do, her brand. Due respect? <laughs> due respect. Okay. Like, I'm trying to be nice about this, right? But this guy, you cannot have a sustainability campaign plastered all over your sports broadcasts while also hiring a climate change denier on her public feed. You look like idiots. who Who just went out here on her social media to use the death of Martin Truett Jr.'s ex-wife, Sherry Pomets, after a years long battle with ovarian cancer this over this past weekend, to basically tear into Martin Tourette's Jr. on Instagram. Yeah, as if Classless. he needs that right now. As if he needs that bullshit right now in his life. Yeah, like I, I, that, didn't even, I, I didn't Sherry even. Sherry Pollitt's wanna... fought for a long fucking time. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that ovarian cancer is a, is often a matter of when rather than if, which is horrible enough as it is. 
And I wasn't even going to mention that because my argument was more to do with Sky in this broadcast. But I did see Danica Patrick's comments about that situation on her Instagram. All I will say is it's it comes off as bitter. It comes off as classless. And you've taken the death of someone who has campaigned incredibly hard to try and raise awareness and funding for a very rare, very difficult form of cancer to beat, and you've made it about you. It's a disgusting thing to do. Grow up. You're a grown-ass woman in your 40s. You should know better. You are exactly the sort of person that should be fighting for Shelley, and instead, you've made it about you because you don't like Truex for whatever fucking personal reason that may be. Classless. Absolutely classless. Like, grow up, honestly. It's it's like, it's a... Like, it's, it's, I just can't get over happy. Like, I, we joked about the pettiness of the record books last week on this show with Toto Wolf. This takes it to a whole nother level. Don't be someone... petty over a literal matter of life and death. Don't take someone's death as a reason to take shots at somebody else who is grieving right now. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, honestly. Right. Formula One is back for the Japanese Grand Prix this weekend. Expect like, normal service to resume emphatically. Probably. Um, Red Bull has a very good chance of winning the Constructors' Championship this weekend. There's a And, you know, break out the T-shirts. It's happening again. Max can't win it this weekend, but he can win it in Qatar in three weeks' time, potentially. We'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But, yeah, Japanese Grand Prix. I do love I do love Japan. It's one of my favorite tracks on the calendar. Please have a half-decent race. I do love and Japan. Good news. Good news. Um, it's only going to be warm. At worst, it's going to be mostly cloudy throughout the weekend. Oh, good. So it's going to be extremely processional, but thank God it's not going to rain. Thank God it's not. Thank God they haven't got a typhoon in the area. Generally speaking, I would consider that to be good news. Hey, uh, uh, when are we going MotoGP racing? Uh, uh, we probably aren't. <laughs> apparently, there's a, there's the Indian Grand Prix this weekend. But if you've been Maybe. keeping up with if you've been keeping up with that story. Um, I'll, I'll, if you haven't, I'll keep you. I'll give you, I'll give you a quick heads up. Um, India's visa department has been dreadful, and they are now trying to rush through as many visa applications as possible to get the paddock out to that Grand Prix in time for the race weekend that starts on Friday. Oh, and by the way, the track still isn't homologated yet. Dude, they're doing a papers please speed run right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark Marquez is riding. Was riding a bicycle a few hours ago because uh, he didn't get his visa. Yeah, Brad Bender. Doesn't have his visa, right? Um, so they're trying to sort all yeah. of that shit out right now. Um, they have to get as much of the paddock out there as possible. Um, and I, I, I don't think you'll mind me saying this: My, our friend and yours, Lewis Sudderby, still can't get out there right now because he missed his flight because he didn't have his visa. As his many, as his journos, like Simon Patterson, got his today. As we're recording this on on, on Tuesday the, way the 19th. To his flight. On the way to his flight. His his wife Maddie isn't gonna make it in time, so she's had to stay at home, which is which is sucks because she's also works in the paddock as well. Um, so we don't yeah, know who they get wrong with those, uh, those operational issues with Dorna that we've been talking about basically for two seasons now. Yeah, feels a lot more real now, huh? It's happened again. It's happened uh, again, and we don't gonna- even know. Like, oh, by the way, by, by the way, there's a riders only meeting on Thursday regarding the safety of this track. There's a higher than 0% chance, sorry to cut you, RJ. Um, There's a much higher than 0% chance that we have a rider walkout this weekend. I shit you not. 
So, Dre, if that happens, we don't have a race to talk about next week. Mm-hmm. What do we do with our time next week? Uh, well, how about we sit down, crunch some numbers, and review IndyCar for next year? All right. Sounds uh, like fun. I, th- I think we can. I think we can uh, review it right now. Uh, Alex Pelo, good. Scott <laughs> yeah, Dixon, I- still good. Joseph <laughs> Newgarden, I don't know anymore. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird, complicated IndyCar season. Like I said, if you've, if you've kept up with my season review and my personal thoughts and everything, there's some weird shit that went down in IndyCar this year. We'll try and make as much sense of it as possible next week because, uh, yeah, things might be a little bit late next week because uh, I'm going to Las Vegas on Friday, as you do. Um, so I'll be out there for that one, doing the WTF1 wrap live. Uh live from Las Vegas, which is a weird place to be, but here we are. Uh, as of the king in our chat says, Viva Las Vegas. Yes, that is a thing. Uh, so thanks <laughs> to my new best friends at MoneyGram for flying my obnoxious ass out to Vegas for a weekend. That, that'll be fun. So if you're in Vegas in this past weekend, come down to the MoneyGram watch party for the Japanese Grand Prix on Saturday night. A certain someone will be there. Say hi. Um, but until then, <laughs> I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening in, and we'll catch you next week for maybe an Indian Grand Prix in MotoGP, probably a Japanese Grand Prix in Formula 1, and maybe an IndyCar season review as well. Till then, sayonara. Later, y'all. Uh, I, I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> the one time Cam hasn't got an outro for us, God. I, 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 it's, that's the outro, I guess. That's 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 what not winning feels like, I suppose. What are you talking about? Finish one two in Indianapolis. <laughs>